Sink or swim. Sink or swim. It's a lived experience. December 26, 2009, living in a prison, walking towards death, dying inside, fighting a battle that we never asked for. We covered a whole lot. Yeah, we Um, did. The disappointments and the struggles, those are my biggest obstacles with this whole thing. It's so nice to know, that that sounds terrible to say, but it is nice to know that I'm not alone, that there are others. Why can't they treat it? Where am I headed? How am I going to die? What's going to happen in the end? Why can't we treat any part of it? What's going on with it? Well, here we are. I want to thank everybody for joining us for another Sink or Swim. We are here today with Marion Allen, nurse practitioner. She has her RN, her MSN, FNP-C. She is a long COVID nurse practitioner. Marianne, I want to say hello and welcome you to Sink or Swim. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate your time, and I'm really happy that you are willing to come on here and talk about treatment with long COVID, long haulers. We've done quite a few interviews with individuals about what they're suffering with, what they're dealing with. It's nice to be able to talk with you about what treatment options are. Yeah, so I'm from Mississippi. Um, I went to school at Ole Miss and, and did my undergrad there. Um, I got my master's back home in Mississippi, and that's where I started off in nursing and and trauma ICU at the time. Um, So I did that for a couple of years, and then I started travel nursing, and I was actually in the ICU, and I was travel nursing right outside of Seattle at Evergreen Health, um, and that was in February of 2020, of course, whenever the pandemic started. Uh, and I just all of a sudden kind of found myself in the in the middle of all of it. So I stayed there and I finished up my contract and, and then I continued traveling. So I went to New York and Houston and Atlanta and just kind of kept going to all these COVID hotspots until um, I just completely burned myself out. So that's when I switched over to using my nurse practitioner degree and got out of the ICU and, and went into outpatient world. And I kept saying, you know, I've had enough of COVID. I want to get away from it. It's it's just, it's completely burned me out. So I went to the outpatient uh, urgent care and all of a sudden it's like I had more COVID patients. Um, they were coming in initially sick. And then all of a sudden I had a couple of people that were saying they were having symptoms, you know, weeks to months afterwards. And I was at, at first, of course, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And so I just kind of, you know, blew it off. And then all of a sudden I really started listening um, and and believing in these patients. So then I just kind of went down a wormhole and really started diving into it and found that there are so many patients who are having the same exact issues. Um, and so then, of course, I'm figuring out what are they doing about it? And, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. Um, so then I, I just decided that, well, maybe I could help. So, so I started a, a telehealth company being a nurse practitioner. There's a lot of different laws and regulations here in Georgia. Nurse practitioners are pretty restricted in what we can do just that we have to have a doctor over us. Um, so I'm doing just in full practice states. So, um, there's about 25 states that I can practice completely independently. So I decided I would just focus on those states and do it on telehealth. So that's kind of what brings me to today. Um, finally able to start a, 
uh, it's called Long COVID NP, and I'm just focusing on long COVID patients and how I can help. And of course, it's all on telehealth, and it's all virtual. So were you in the hospital during 2020, during the full COVID? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was, that's when I was outside of, of Seattle at, at Evergreen and um, in I started there, I guess, fall of 2019, and I just enjoyed the area, so I continued staying. So I was there at the beginning of 2020 and into, I guess, during the spring, I, I was still there. So whenever um, whenever we had, you know, one of the first cases, the CDC actually came to the hospital because um, it was one of the first nursing home outbreaks. You know, little little did we know at the time, we, we had several patients um, that were sick from that nursing home and they tested and, and I don't know, most of them had COVID. So that's kind of when it all when it all started there. I would like to just kind of give you just a little bit of background so that you know where we're at. Doug has long haulers and he had COVID before we even knew COVID was here. Wow. That's the only thing that anyone can come up with. We didn't even know COVID was here, so we didn't even know anything about it, but our daughter had just come back from a two-week trip to New York City. Doug got really sick two weeks after that, and our daughter was sick as well. Mm -hmm. So we call it the episode. He had an episode that it was on the 26th of December, 2019, and when he woke up, he couldn't get out of bed, he couldn't, he could not function at all. Right. Well, he had no taste. He had no smell. He had, wow. it took three of us, actually four of us to even get him up to go to the bathroom. And he was so dizzy that when he was up and this lasted a couple weeks. Oh my gosh. So that wow. is what we call the episode. Yeah. And since then, I mean, he's been going through this since 2019, December. It has not let up. Wow. I mean, he is functioning now, but not at all. What is well, he functioning? To, yeah. He's compensating. To, exactly. Now, our 12-year-old daughter, she was 12 at the time. She's 13 now. She lost a kidney to COVID. Wow. And we had no idea until we went to um, a nephrologist and found out that she only has one kidney working and she was really sick with COVID. Uh-huh. And then Doug's brother died a year ago of COVID. Oh my gosh. So wow. this is why we're so passionate about trying to get help for people that are dealing with this, you can't even, well, you probably can imagine how many referrals we've had to doctors, how many medications they've had him on, how many exams and tests, blood tests and imaging, and we've had two brain scans. They thought first he had MS, then they thought he had myasthenia gravis, then they thought he had psoriasis, arthritic psoriasis, We've had so many treatments for so many pathologies and none of it. If you look at him on paper, he's the healthiest person you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Because all of the 218 blood tests that he's had have come back normal. Every imaging has come back normal. Wow. He's not normal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you almost want your 
lab tests and, and your imaging to, to be abnormal, just to give you something, something to go on. And that is exactly what, when we found out that his brain scan was normal, he was almost disappointed. Yeah. Because right. give us something to work with. Exactly. Let us know, you know, how can he be feeling this way, pain, 24-7, pain, like, if mm-hmm. if he was taking narcotics, which he's not because he won't do that, they would think that he was a seeker. Oh, yeah. But because he's not taking it, they believe that he's having pain. Right. So... This is kind of where we're at. So I'm like going to grasp onto every word you say (laughs) when it comes to treatment, when it comes to identifying modalities that might be able to help someone. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to share that with you so that you know kind of where we're coming from and why we started all of this to try to help someone. It might not help us, but it might help someone. Right. And I mean, I, I start off every um, consultation with I am not promising you anything. You know, I I want to help so badly, but I, I'm not going to promise you like I have a lot of I, I research. I spent all of my time looking this up and looking at different ways and, and different uh, people to work with and, and different just ways, ways of looking at it from all kinds of different specialties. So I have you know, a lot of, of tools in my toolbox that I can kind of play with depending on what's going on with the person. But, you know, I, I just never, I never give people false hope because sometimes you do all of these things and they're just not responding to it. And it's, it's, you know, it's frustrating for me and I can't even imagine what it feels like for the patient and for the family. So it's, you know, I, I do absolutely everything I can. Um, and it just, it, it breaks my heart when, it's it's not working, but I I have found that when people have gone through all these things and they are being called a pain seeker or that they're you know they one person she's she everyone that she had been to diagnosed her with anxiety and she was like I, I'm not really an anxious person so just me saying you're you're validated these are real symptoms that you're having that it was like watching a weight come off her shoulders so it's um. I can't. I can't imagine what the patients, patients and the family are, are having to go through. So I really, um, my heart goes out to you guys. When I've talked to people with anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression are inherently a part of the long COVID long haulers. And uh, anybody that deals with it for any extended period of time is going to deal with anxiety and depression. And the way that I've tried to explain it to the providers that I've sat with to uh, find care for my health care, the way I I have explained it is I'm not depressed because I'm depressed. I'm depressed because of what I'm dealing with. And it is a different source and cause for my depression. 
So if we try antidepressant medications, it may or may not work. And I want everything to work. I know I'm just like every long hauler, every long COVID patient. I want to be done with it. (laughs) So I want to have stuff work for me, just like everybody that's listening to this. We want it gone. But if it can't be gone, we want it to at least be able to be treatable. Right. If it's not treatable, then what the heck do we do? I know that there's not really answers for that last question, but I would I would take our conversation here and I would ask you Tell us about what the general kind of people that you see walking in your door, so to speak. I know you're doing telehealth, but I'm still going to talk that same way. What do you see, generally speaking, in long haulers, long COVID, walk through your door with what complaints? You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of the research I've looked at is saying that it's usually women, um, but I've, I've found that it's women and men. It's all across the board. I've had people in their 20s. I have had people in their 70s and anywhere in between. You know, I had people with lots of health disorders and none. You, you know, someone who is now saying that they're just being diagnosed with anxiety, you know, they were perfectly fine before this. And now they're anxious because they're scared that they're going to continue to be this sick forever. Um, somebody who is has run marathons for, you know, their whole life, and now they can't do that. So it's amazing how all across the board that it is. And and as I look at statistics of who I'm expected to see, I, I kind of would more expect to, to see uh, women. A lot of times it's maybe 20, 30 years old. And so that's kind of what I expected. Um, and it's generally supposedly is people who were who were healthier who had no prior pre-existing conditions but i've really found that it is all across the board is whoever shows up yeah i when doug was sick the only time i we've been married almost 35 years the Mm -hmm. only time i have ever seen him sick ever was one of our bridesmaids had chicken pox at our wedding and he got chicken pox and he was pretty sick with that other than that i've never seen him sick ever wow yeah and and no health problems right none none at all yeah i just and i just have to think it's it's genetics you know i i worked a little bit um and I, i do kind of base my what i'm doing in more of a holistic manner and i got i got started on that when i was in school i did a rotation uh, with a holistic so she kind of I tell her she ruined me because now I can't see things any other way um, but she she really was looking at at what genetics plays a part in and she de- dealt a lot with uh, black mold like in people's homes and it would be an entire family living there and only one or two people might get sick and it was it, it definitely had to do with they just had a certain gene and they would react to it so it's it's really interesting and it that that seemed to be the only thing that made sense that's interesting you've got my brain working (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's very interesting to think about it coming from the genetics aspect because if it does 
come from the genetic direction predisposed to whatever it is that uh, the the COVID virus causes for effects being related to the genetic predisposition, then the same people in the same family, one could get sick really bad from it, and the others maybe just had a cold or allergy like symptoms. Yeah. And yeah. That, have you, do you know if there's any studies or anything going on with that? Or just like with most stuff right now, it's all hypotheticals and theories and right. everything else. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and there, there may be, I, I, I can't speak to it for sure. Um, not that I have seen a lot of this, yeah, is, is in my head and just using whatever background I, I've had. And in fact, I talked to that nurse practitioner a lot and I, I asked her, you know, this thing, this these black mold patients, are you finding that they're similar to long COVID? She was like, yeah, I've been saying that. We, we started talking about it maybe, maybe a year ago. Um, so, so, so we talk about it and it, it just, yeah, it seems to be the only thing that makes sense, just that it's just so broad that the patients that it affects, but that's, that's, we, we're, we're not researchers. I wish we were, yeah. but um, <laughs> that is definitely us just using what experience that we have and trying to apply it uh, to something new. So let me share a phrase with you that I have used both with the healthcare providers that I go see personally and with others when I'm talking to them. I explain the, when I got sick, it seems to me like something happened between my ears. <laughs> and I, that's the only way I can describe it is somewhere neurological in my head there was an effect by the COVID virus that it just disrupted my entire pain understanding, my entire pain center to be able to understand what is real and what is not. Because I can have a pretty good injury occur to me and it doesn't hurt, but mm -hmm. I can have an old injury that will hit me just like, uh, oh, I just went blank with the amputees when they lose their leg or their arm. Yeah. Phantom pain that I can, that it, I would describe it in that same way but it just kills me i mean it'll it'll disrupt everything when that kind of thing goes on it's uh, nobody nobody has really been able to one understand what i'm trying to say but two any kind of support for the concept that well the coronavirus could have affected the brain in blank ways. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you know of, anything that you've seen, anything that you do that is neurologically related with what the coronavirus or COVID long haulers, long COVID does? You know, I was looking at a study a couple of days ago and don't quote me on it, but they were, I think they were doing, I think it was a CT and they were seeing changes and I'll have to, I'd have to go back and look at it. Um, but that is something that's, that's being looked at, uh, is there, there are changes now 
you said you've you've had one, right? And they didn't even see anything on yours. MRIs. Uh, nobody's yeah, MRI. done the CT, but MRI, yeah. no change one year to the next year. The first MRI was probably about 12 months in, somewhere between 10 mm-hmm. and 12 months into the illness. And then the second one would have been at about 20 to 24 months. Yeah, the I'll same, have to look the at same, it. The same location, the same machine, same everything. Uh, did both of the MRIs and the same radiologist read it and he said he sees no difference. And so nothing. Yeah. 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 That, I'm glad you brought that up because I saw it. It, it was a couple of days ago and and, it, and I'm not sure how far out the patients were. I don't know if it was just right after COVID or if this was, um, you know, a year or so. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but they were seeing changes, which is, which is promising um, for some sort of, solid evidence that there are neurological symptoms going on. I know I read about a year ago, I think it was a European study that was seeing some changes in the mass comparisons of the brains through MRI, but I never did see anything else from it. So I don't know if they figured out that they weren't right or they just haven't done anything else with it but that's all that I saw in that and that's all I've ever heard mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm very into there's so many different thoughts on exactly how it works and I, I'm not you know totally sure that one is better or, or if maybe it's a combination of all of them but I've really kind of dived into the it, being in, in your vascular system, which goes to your entire body, um, which again, just makes sense in my head that the symptoms, you know, I was looking at a study today, it was over, that one was over 50 symptoms that people are having. I think I've seen some well over that. Um, but it's the, it, it just seems to make sense if it's in your vascular system, which supplies blood throughout your entire body, that that would be where this is, this is occurring and of course then it, it goes up to your brain so that's that's uh i guess my leading theory of just taking what what people are saying but who there could be a combination honestly of, of all of it and i think that's the only consistency <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. anyone is really able to identify yet uh I always explain to everybody that medicine takes about six, seven years to really be able to roll over and start to give answers and treatments and results and understanding. And we're only about three years out, so we're only halfway to the norm. But what uh, a patient asks you a question of, I, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, I guess it's, it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult thing to deal with for mm-hmm. all of the listeners. What, I mean, what, most of them don't even know what questions to ask. Maybe that's a good spot to start. They don't even know what right. questions to ask. Hey, if you're listening to our podcast, please like and share. Help us to build the community that needs to hear this. We really would appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. This has been Marion Allen, nurse practitioner. This is episode one of two. So listen for the next one coming out soon on Sink or Swim, a long COVID long haulers podcast.